You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Yeah, all right, welcome back. Hey, everybody online in the room. My name is Morgan. If you're new, I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm thrilled to be with you. I know we got a lot of folks online not feeling so great, uh, but we're glad, again, we get to be together. We are in the middle of this series called Abide. As you can see, we're continuing on in the Gospel of John, chapter 15. One thing real quick. Man, how about that 40-hour elevate? Man, great job, Pastor Wendell and our teens and students. Thank you for all your parents for the support. It means a ton. And that was a really great weekend for us and for our, our, our group here. So, uh, but let's go. Here we go. John chapter 15, the passage on which the teaching will be based. It's in front of you. I'll be your scripture reader. Here we go. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You're my friends if you do what I command and I no longer call you servants because the servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command, love each other. That's the reading of God's word. All his people said, amen. Yeah, here we go in this uh, series, Gospel of John. We're looking at what abiding in, living in God's word might do to us. And in this series is something that we're doing, you may know, uh, with our global spiritual family called Every Nation, churches, ministries around the world. And one of my friends uh, across the globe in ministry is a pastor in Sierra Leone, nation in the tip of West Africa. His name is Shadonke Johnson. And a few years ago, I was in the room with Pastor when he told this story. He told the story of when he was beginning his ministry there in Sierra Leone about 10 years ago or so in an effort to change his war-torn nation and he was trying to begin his church 
And to do that, he would go around to these different tribal groups and share his faith and preach about Jesus to them. And as he did that, and as he preached, he watched person after person come to faith in Christ and get off drugs and alcohol and drop their guns and repent of their violence. It was amazing. And then, of course, he began to be noticed by some of the local militia groups into whose territory he had been cutting and gaining influence. And so one day, one of the local militia leaders decided he had had enough and he went out and he found Pastor Shadonke and he put a gun to his head and he asked this, before I kill you, do you have anything you'd like to say? And Shadonke looked him right in the eye and he said this, he said, yes, just this. He said, when I die, angels will carry my body to be with the Lord Jesus for forever. What will happen to you when you die? Yeah. This gang leader looked at him and started to laugh. And he called Shadonke a certified, here's the word, a lunatic. And he let him go. He thought, no one could possibly follow a guy who talks like that. It's amazing. But the story gets even better. Because two weeks later, that same man showed up back in Shadonke's village. But this time, he brought his whole army with him. And he barged in shouting, where is Shadonke? I'm looking for Pastor Shadonke. Shadonke's wife comes out and she lies. I haven't seen him. I don't know where he is. Uh, He's not here right now. But Shadonke was there. He was in hiding. But he recognized the man's voice. He came out and he said this, I am here. What do you want to know? The militia leader said this, every night for the last two weeks, I have had dreams about this Jesus. And last night he said, I should come find you. So here I am. What does Pastor Shadonke do? He leads the man to Christ on the spot, leads the whole militia to Christ. They throw down their guns and they join his church. It's an amazing story. Yeah, you give a hand. Now, that's a true story. It's an amazing story. Why, then, do I tell you this story? Well, for a number of reasons, but primarily for today because of this. Because I think that what that story points us to and shows us is the nature of the vision that God has for your life. The nature of the vision that God has for your life. People can get hung up on the question all the time. Does God have a specific plan for my life? Is there like one thing, only one thing I'm ever supposed to do and become? Like one person, only one person I'm ever supposed to marry? Well, listen, I'm not here to answer that today. Now, I know some of you are disappointed by that. You're kind of hoping to hear that. All right. No, this passage doesn't talk about God's plan for your life, but it does, hear me, in its own way, contain God's vision for your life, one that I think is lived out in a person, in a heart, in a story, like the one you just heard about from Pastor Shadonke. So let's ask then this, what then is God's vision for your life, here's my answer, that you become great? What's God's vision for your life that you become great? Some of you aren't convinced. That's okay. All right, well, hopefully, hopefully I can get you there. How can I say this? Look at this one verse right here from John 15, verse eight. Jesus said it. He said, this is to my Father's glory that you bear, what are the words? Come on, much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, would you say that Pastor Shadonke in that story is living out this verse? Yes. Is he glorifying God? Yes. Is he bearing much fruit? Yes. Is he proving himself, showing himself to be a disciple of Jesus? Yes. And so I'll ask you a follow-up question. If that's the case, then why can't you? 
why shouldn't you? Why couldn't you? Listen, I think that what you heard in that West African pastor's life is available not only for him, but it's available and it's possible for you and for me and for us in Mosaic Church in our own unique way, for sure, but available and possible nonetheless. How does this happen? I think John 15 shows us. It shows us the nature of the vision God has for our life. That God works like this. We're gonna look at this one sentence, try to break it down in three parts today. We're gonna see God grows us in greatness, and deals with our deadness as we trust his tenderness. God grows us in greatness, deals with our deadness as we trust in his tenderness. I'm actually gonna ask you to read this out loud with me. Here we go, one time. God grows us in greatness and deals with our deadness as we trust in his tenderness. Let's break down that sentence one bite at a time. Here we go. Number one, let's look and see how and why God grows us in greatness. A few years ago, at the end of one of, my, uh, one of my kids' sports seasons, I played in this parents versus kids game. Maybe some of you have done the same, all right? And being a former college baseball player, some of the parents had said they were excited to see what I could do. And so, you know, I was excited to show them the caliber of athlete at the University of Houston recruits. And so I was feeling myself pretty good until the game started and the very first ball got hit to me. What did I do? What happened? I missed the hop, misread the bounce. It bounced up, hit me square in the face. I bent over, tried to pick it up. I literally kicked it across the infield. And the nine-year-old who hit it laughed at me all the way down <laughs> to first base. And that was bad. But then the boo birds came in from the side. All the parents started to boo, you know, rain, rain it down on me. What was, what was going on? A little something in life I'll call the down escalator. Down escalator. Because life, you've probably seen this in yourself some way, somehow. Life works a lot like a down escalator. What did a down escalator do? Come on. It takes you down and all you have to do is ride it. All you have to do is be on it. You don't even have to move on a down escalator. It takes you where? Down, right? Life's a lot like that because, again, in my case, without effort... Without trying, without moving a single muscle, life moved me down from athletic to incompetent. All right. And you can see that same thing with your French accent, your German accent, Spanish, Chinese, whatever accent. You spent six years and tens of thousands of dollars in school plus a semester overseas to hone so you could expertly order that meal in a foreign restaurant, right? But the moment you stop using and practicing the accent, what happened? The accent abandons you, right? What happens the moment you stop working out? Come on, stuff moves where? Down. (laughs) The down escalator. This is the way life works. And yet, despite that universal trajectory, Jesus says this, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. Jesus is telling them here, us to unmistakably complete clarity, no hidden meaning. He's telling us that our emotional and spiritual lives lived out can be, maybe should be different. He's saying you can go against the grain. You don't have to live a decaying emotional life. You don't have to live a meager, scraping the sawdust off the floor spiritual life. Your faith doesn't have to decay right now. 
Your character doesn't have to rot right now. Jesus is calling us to be people who can change greatly and who bear great fruit. And all God's people, doggone it, said amen. You may feel like, Morgan, I ain't there with you. Everything on the inside of me today feels like it's moving down. Like after two years of riding the COVID escalator down in our nation, I'm done. That's okay. It's okay. Listen, when Jesus spoke these words in John 15, his people there were in a low moment. In John 15 here, they're gathered in a room, in the upper room. Jesus is about to leave them, go back to the Father. And their master is going to leave them. And Jesus says, listen, I'm leaving. And now, now, now they're here in a low moment emotionally. And he says this to them anyway. I know you're feeling sad and down right now, he's saying, but it's still my vision for your life, that as you move out of this place into the world, that you bear much fruit. No matter if the Romans are in charge or the Jewish people, the temple, who knows what. More than you could ever imagine as fishermen and tax collectors, my vision for you is that you bear much fruit and that it would remain. Which means this, and I hope you'll hear me. It means that God Almighty, your Heavenly Father, wants you to succeed more than even you want to succeed. God wants your best more than even you want your best. Your fulfillment more than even you do. You to bear fruit even more than you want to do that. You say, that's amazing. I didn't know that. Never seen that. God is glorified when I bear much fruit? Yes. Oh, but thankfully... Probably waiting for this. Jesus gives us the definition of what that fruit can and should look like because, and let's just face it, his idea of fruit and our American ideal of fruit can sometimes be two very divergent things. So then what does, what does greatness in the kingdom of God look like according to Jesus? Two things, we're gonna move through them quickly. First, real greatness then looks like radical obedience. Real greatness looks like radical obedience. Look at verse 10. He said, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Listen, today our culture, you feel this, says that greatness comes when you play by your own rules. You live your own life. Why? Because we put love and obedience on opposite ends of the spectrum. We do this. We think, what's love got to do, got to do with obedience, right? But Jesus says, only everything I have kept my Father's commands and I abide in his love. He puts them together. Oh, but here's why. Here's why especially radical obedience to Jesus Christ brings out your full potential. Look at Psalm 19:7. I love this. Gives us like a hint. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Think about it. Think about this. All right. If you've been an addict of any kind, what does sobriety do? Come on. Sobriety revives your relationships. Hmm? If you've overspent, what does budgeting do? Budgeting now revives your budget. If you've been taking one too many trips to the dessert bar at the Golden Corral, <laughs> what does the discipline of a healthy diet do? A healthy diet revives the body. And in the same way, and I'll put it like this, while sin ravages the soul, obedience revives it, right? It brings it back to where it should have been all along. Radical obedience to Christ brings out the person you were meant and designed to be and makes you great. 
Secondly, second way that we live out this call to greatness is real greatness and looks like sacrificial love. Like sacrificial love. Now, years ago, 18 and one day to be precise, I discovered that the people who wrote People magazine were liars. Here's why. Because they told me nothing could ever make me happier than being a parent. So you see the magazine covers, the celebrities, they have their baby, they're smiling. Listen, that's not true. When I had my first child, I thought, this is it? I'm paying how much for this tiny person? Keeps me up all night, costs how much to feed? People lied. And many of you know this. Because at first, as a parent especially, you give everything. The child gives you nothing. And yet still demands everything, right? But you still do it. You give in. You give it to them. But over time, if you keep sacrificing for, investing in, making their joy your own, what happens? Now your own selfishness gets squeezed out a bit more. And this incredible and explicable love fills you. And you've come to believe that no matter what the stat sheet says for your child's sports team or dance bit or music company, that your child is the best singer, dancer, player ever. You're like, I don't care if they've struck out 12 times in a row. They ought to bat first, right? You know, it looks like insanity, but it's love. It's love. And that's what laying down your life for others looks like. It looks like insanity, but it's love. It's love. Do you regret paying the price for your children? No. Do you regret making them great? No way. Your love has made them great, and you've become greater in the process. So when Jesus says this, this is my commandment, that you love one another. This is, I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that you lay down your life for your friends. Here's what he's showing you. That to live out the greatest commandment with others is to bring out the greatness in you. To live out the great, great commandment with others is to bring out the greatness in you. You make others, your family, people, community, this church great when you love sacrificially, which means, of course, it always costs you. Maybe your time, maybe your money, maybe your pride, maybe your independence, your convenience, your preference. Oh, but when you do this, you become better in the process. It's inevitable. Can you see why Jesus called us to this? Yes. Number one, number one, God wants to grow us in greatness as we obey him radically and love others sacrificially. How does it begin though? How does this process begin to happen? Let's look at that now. Number two, God grows us in greatness and as he deals with our deadness. Here we go, look at verse five. Jesus says this, I love this. I am the vine, you're the branches. What's Jesus getting at with this? Okay. Last year, you may have seen this, this article came out in the Washington Post, the WAPO, all about your, your favorite exercise bike and mine, Peloton, yeah. It was all about why Peloton has gone from a $7 billion company to a $50 billion company during the course of the pandemic. And they're struggling a little bit, a little bit right now, but the point is overall, they've grown incredibly and the title of the article was too good not to click. And it was this. Peloton made toning your glutes feel spiritual. <laughs> Peloton made toning your glutes feel spiritual. Yeah. And here's what the article said. It, said, it says, this, in general, quote, taking a Peloton class is like simultaneously having a hyper fit in your face gym trainer pushing you to the max while also urging you to stare your life's purpose in the face. 
Demands quickly flip from how high to crank your hill to how honest you're willing to be with yourself to how thankful you are. There are frequent references to forces bigger than oneself. The effect is spiritually intoxicating. And John Foley, he was the CEO of Peloton, said, he went on to say, this is what is at the core of Peloton. He said, people want fitness and they want something else. In the 70s or 80s, you would have a cross or a star of David around your neck. Now, you have a soul cycle tank top. That's your identity. That's your community. That's your religion, end quote. Yeah. John Foley, if you're here today, we love you. You're welcome. (laughs) We love it. But why would someone, anyone, let's say $50 billion worth of someone's, make something like an exercise class, their identity and religion? Why? Here's why. When Jesus says this, I'm the vine, you all are the branches. He's telling us why. He's saying, humanity, you're a branchy bunch. You're a branchy bunch. He's saying every person, human life, functions like a branch. What does a branch do? Branches look to put down spiritual roots into some kind of vine and look to draw up from the vine some kind of vitality. Every person, he's saying, then, is like a plant, a branch that looks for something to keep it going. We all know we need something, like a soul cycle class, so we go to a Peloton class or a cooking class or an art show or a whatever. And those are all fine and good. If you want to get in shape and tone your glutes and learn to cook and all of that, that's great. Just don't expect to find true life there. Why? Every other vine, Jesus says, is a false vine. Say, Morgan, are you sure you say that? Yeah, why? Because Jesus doesn't just say, like, I'm a vine you could pick. I'm a vine, one of many vines. No, he says, I am the true vine, verse one. I'm the source of true life, Jesus is saying. Peloton may be nice, but it's a false vine. Money, super helpful, hope you get a lot, but it's a false vine. Politics, it's a false vine. Success, a big platform, they're amazing, but in and of themselves, they're a false vines. And by implication here, any other faith system Besides, following Jesus Christ is a false vine. Oh, but our problem is, and Jesus knows us as humans, we keep trying to attach ourselves, stick ourselves into false vines, fake vines that promise life, but end us, leave us in and up empty. Our glutes, yeah, may get toned for a minute, but our souls shrivel over time. We end up feeling like dead branches, and Jesus knows us. Look at verse six. He says, if you don't remain in me, he's pleading with us here out of love. You're like a branch. It gets thrown away. It withers. Such branches are picked up. It's like they get thrown into the fire. They're burned. Have you ever felt burned out by life? Come on. Relationships, pandemic, work, church. Yeah, me too. Now you know why. For whatever reason, you came to discover you were looking for true life and something else and not the true vine of Jesus. And so today, I want to tell you, if you're sensing somehow you put yourself down into like a a false vine, a fake vine, maybe a false sense of self, one that I, especially I think somebody needs to hear this, you feel like you're worthless, you have no no sense of self in Christ, you feel like nothing's ever going to go right for you, nothing's going to make you better, you're going to have to, eh, nothing can, you know, go your way at all, it's just might as well be, you know, worthless and quit, quit all of that, I want to tell you, you're going to have to quit sucking life out of that false vine. Stop abiding in that thing 
and begin to make Jesus Christ your heart's true home if you're going to have the kind of great life he's promised in his word. You say, Morgan, this is hard to get, like hard to <laughs> uproot and replant. I know. How can we do this? Let me show you. It's a famous poem. Follow me here. By the 19th century, your famous 19th century German poet and mine, Rainer Rilke. Yeah. Have you ever heard of Rilke? He's a famous guy. People still read him. It's based on something that happened to him. Follow me here. Is he, he's in this museum one day. No Netflix, right? We're learning stuff. How about that? He's in it. Oh, wow. They hit too close to home. Okay. Another fake vine, maybe. At a museum studying art. All right. Walking around this particular statue, admiring it. And then he writes a poem about the beauty of the statue. Its form, its curves, its lines, how lovely it is. Very, you know, flowery language. And then, boom, the poem ends with his mic drop moment. He says, now, five words, you must change your life. Poem over. All right. Like, what are you meaning? How do we change our lives? What's he about here? All right. He shows you the key with the poem and the mic drop. Here's what he's grasping. He's grasping that a person can talk about the beauty of something, the statue, walk around the beauty of something, the statue, even write about the beauty of something, the statue. But unless you take into your heart that very beauty you've seen and experienced and you let it change your life, you haven't really gotten it. And what Rilke grasped here artistically is, I think, exactly how the human heart works. The human heart, is, it works best. Hear me. It's reshaped like a piece of metal, not when it's just beaten on and hammered, maybe snaps back or breaks apart. No, but when the metal is melted down by beauty, then you can reform it. Now it's soft and it's supple, can be reshaped. And when the heart takes inside it the beauty of the person of Jesus Christ, and it says, change me, God, make me whatever you want me to be now, 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 real change can begin. Now real rooting, rerooting can begin. How can we do this? How can we see this truth and grasp this beauty? Put it like this. We can grow in greatness and allow God to deal with our deadness. Number three, as we trust in his tenderness. There's a beauty in God's tenderness I hope we'll look at today. And the reason why I chose this word is because literally this is what's happening in this little parable Jesus gives us. He's saying God is like a good gardener. God's like a skilled vine dresser. And he is tending to us. See, tenderness and tending comes from the same root word, to tend. To tend means to care for something that's weak and fragile. So look at how Jesus describes God's tending to us takes place. Verse 2. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Okay, he's saying there are two primary ways, in this parable anyway, God tends to us. First, on one hand, he does acknowledge, yes, God prunes us like he cuts us back. Why? Well, in this agrarian agricultural example, here's the point. A vineyard cannot bear the kind of fruit it's supposed to bear, capable of bearing, if the vines are not pruned by an expert vine dresser and pruned so extensively, maybe sometimes so aggressively, it looks like the vine dresser has attacked the plant. When the vine dresser is done, now there are all over the ground. You know this if you've ever trimmed, especially a rose bush. All over the ground, there are now hundreds, perhaps, of beautiful little branches and blossoms, maybe even grapes. Bunches of grapes are on the ground. The vine 
when the vine dresser is done with it, is bleeding all over the place and nearly stripped bare. Why? Oh, it's because a skilled vine dresser knows the difference between a branch that will bear fruit and one that will only sap the life out of the vine in the end. And a skilled vine dresser never cuts off anything that isn't a gain to lose and would be a loss to keep. Now, people, are you like, okay, great. God, I'm, I'm trusting him. I'm liking this. Okay, but other people have said, well, hang on a second. I don't know if I like this because does this mean that God, like he brings pain into my life? Does this mean that God has brought that suffering, that loss, that death? Well, yes and no. Here's what I mean. On one hand, we all know this. If you live in this world, come on, you're going to experience suffering and loss, right? We humans, we do this well enough on our own to others. We have broken the world. We bring in sickness. We bring in death. We cause our own sorrows and hurt each other fine on our own. But yes, sometimes, and this is the story of the whole Bible, sometimes God also allows difficulties. Just ask Job. And while I fully acknowledge that when suffering and difficulties come, sure, it can be difficult to discern. Is this from the heart of God for me? Or is this from just living my life, sucking life and sucking air above ground? Like, where is it coming from? Here's what I've come to believe. As a Christian, a Christ follower, it almost doesn't matter. It almost doesn't matter. And here's why. Because the beauty, the absolute power of what Jesus is showing us is in his promise here. That no matter what, no matter why, be it from life itself, if it's perhaps from the hand of God, if even if it's demonic from hell itself, whatever comes, it can still make you great if, if you will do what a branch does when a branch is pruned. Because a branch that is pruned now begins to reattach itself to the vine with a vigor. It realizes, it senses that no outside source can help it anymore. And as it does this, it begins to dig deeper into its true source. It begins, in short, the branch does, to abide in the vine. And as it abides, as it goes deeper, as it clings to its true source, now the life in the vine, the sap in the vine begins to come into the branch in a fresh way. It reinvigorates the branch with an exponential amount of health, one that allows it to go further and farther in its next season of growth. The branch, in other words, simply trusts the vine to save it. No matter, no matter if it's been pruned on purpose by the vine dresser or it's been ravaged by an animal or pecked by a bird, its response is the same. It abides in the vine and trusts the vine to save it. Is this you? Is this me? Are we, no matter the cause of our pain today, just trusting the life of the true vine to save us? Oh, but I want you to see here that Jesus doesn't just say that God cares for us by pruning us. No, Jesus also says something amazing. Because when this translation uses the word cuts, like God cuts me, it's fairly misleading. And almost every translation will give it to you differently. Perhaps you've noticed that in yours. The Greek word Jesus uses here is the word airo. As in God airos us. And its principal main use is this. In the Bible, its main use means to lift up. 
or raise up. And some translations will say that too. The point is Jesus is saying that God, Iero's us. He tends to us by elevating us, lifting us, lifting our branches that have fallen by lifting up our downcast hearts. In other words, Jesus is not describing God as a being who only roams a vineyard, only cuts, only wields one weapon against evil like that's his only tool, like that's the only way he could care for us. No, he's saying yes. Yes, sometimes God prunes with a knife, but sometimes he lifts with his hands. Sometimes he knows we need to be pruned back. Other times he knows we need to be propped up with his own hands. Look, look at Jesus. Look what he's saying here. He said, look at how intentional, how purposeful, how thoughtful, how loving and caring God the Father is with me and with you. He prunes our dead things so they grow back better. And he lifts our fallen branches with his own hands. Now let me ask you this. Why wouldn't you want a God like that to tend you? Tend you. Say, Morgan, all right, I'm open. How can I trust him? Okay, here we go. How can we say yes to this vision God has for our lives? Well, think about it. (laughs) How did God tend to Jesus? Let's think about it. What was Jesus described like? The Old Testament prophets said he was like the branch, the branch. And what happened to that branch? You know, he went to the cross and he wasn't just cut on. No, no, he was cut off from us. He died so that we lifeless and dead things can now be grafted back into him, the living vine. Jesus became the branch that was cut off and burned in the fire that our lives could now bloom in every season, even this one. He has, as Psalm 113 promised and prophesied, he stooped down, he's come low to make us great. God has a vision for your life to make you great, that you bear much fruit as you allow him to deal with your deadness and you trust in his tenderness. Let me ask you, are you growing like that today? Are you allowing God, cooperating with God to deal with your dead things? Are you trusting in his tenderness and abiding in the vine? I hope you are. Let's say yes to him, church, right now. Let me take a moment and pray for us as we begin to close. God, our heavenly father, our skilled vine dresser, We trust that you can see the things that we can't. We sang that this morning. We trust that you can feel the things that we can't. That you know and see. And you're coming to us today. And you're asking us to trust you. Trust with the pruning. Trust with the lifting and the propping. And Lord, we just thank you for being faithful to us. You don't neglect us. You'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. You're here with us. We desire to abide in the vine and remain that we would bear much fruit and bring glory to you. If you're here today and you're saying, man, I have been struggling with this. I've struggled right now to trust the tenderness of God. I get it. Listen, I get it. I've, tried, I've struggled. And you're saying, I want to do that today and allow the life from the true vine to fill me. Would you just raise your hands right now and say, I'm struggling a bit. Tenderness of God, I want to trust him. Yeah. Lord, I thank you for these in the room and at home, wherever you are. We see how, yes, while Jesus was pruned and cut off, he still raised him up. And he grew and came back better, exalted as the son of God with glory, the right hand of the Father. Thank you 
for sharing your heart with us, Jesus. I pray for every person we would lean into and trust the life in the vine to save us. Thank you for the tenderness of God toward us in this church. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.